there, there'll be a point to this, but uh, so how, how many of you like uh, Christmas Hallmark movies like you're a fan? You're going to watch them. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Rusty's like the Hallmark demographic or something. I don't It's a little... We've had some discussions in elders' meetings. You should just know that. But um, how many of you are like, no way when it comes to Hallmark Christmas movies? All right, there we go. Uh, all right, I'm, I'm glad to know we have people with wisdom and discernment in this congregation. So, although some things should be easy, but anyway. Um, so yeah, I'm getting a look from my wife uh, when when. Our kids were smaller, and they would watch them. Jay, our son, would like walk in at the beginning of it and like tell them exactly what was going to happen at the end, make his sisters mad. But anyway, so Hallmark Christmas movie. Here's the plot, okay? Here's the plot. So if, for any Hallmark Christmas movie, basically, you know, there's a, there's a man and a woman that have grown up in a small town. They knew each other. Maybe they were interested in each other. Maybe they dated each other at some point, and then for whatever reason, Either they broke up or it just didn't work out. It just didn't happen. They go their separate ways. They go off to the big city. And, uh, you know, they, they live their lives and, you know, they have careers, but they don't have relationships. Maybe they're divorced or maybe they've spent so much time on their careers that they're, they're single. And uh, then they, they go home for Christmas and there's some kind of problem. And the problem brings them together. And they magically fall in love, and they solve the problem, and they get together, and theoretically, they live happily ever after. Is, is, is this a fair summation uh, of the plot? Okay, and you're like, what does this have to do with, 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 with anything? Well, I think there's echoes of the gospel in that. Or I think it's kind of a revealer of our heart. I think a lot of things about Christmas are kind of a revealer of just our hearts and our human nature and the things that we're looking for. But I mean, you know, in those movies, I mean, we all want relationship. People want to go home. People want a place where they belong and, and, and people uh, to which they belong. And people know that happiness isn't ultimately in external things. It's more in, in internal things. And I, I think that there's echoes of all of those things in there, and echoes of our longings and, and, and our desires and really even our needs as human beings. And in any aspect of Christmas, I think that that's uh, there, that we're looking for those kind of things. But the thing that I would say to us today is that ultimately those desires and needs and longings are only truly ultimately met in, in, in Jesus Christ. And, and so really what I want us to focus on for just a little bit today before we celebrate communion is just what really is the point of Christmas and my point is, there's a lot of things that are good about Christmas, 
uh, whether it's like the secular version of Christmas. I mean, uh, you know, to me, Christmas a lot of ways for kids, and I'm, you know, happy, excited to have a, a, a grandson now, and of course, he's too young to really understand Christmas yet, but, you know, Christmas, kids are what makes Christmas special to me. When I was a kid, I loved Christmas so much, and, you know, we did the Santa Claus thing and all that. We didn't do that with our kids, but my parents made it special, and, uh, you know, it's just so much uh, fun, and, you know, so there's kind of the secular version of Christmas. There's even kind of the religious version of Christmas, you know, the baby in the manger, and Mary and Joseph, and wise men, and shepherds, and plays, and there's food, and family, and, and, and all that, and all that's good, but I'm just saying there's something deeper to Christmas, that there's, there's a point to it, there's, there's a heart of Christmas that, that goes beyond all of those kind of things. And so really, I think the point of Christmas, the, or at least one of them that I want you to see in Scripture today, is this, kind of in a nutshell, that Jesus is the God-man who came and died for our sins to reconcile us to God and to transform our spiritual condition. So if you've got a Bible, let's go to Colossians chapter 1. And I want to show you why I say that. I want to show you that uh, in, in this text. That's like the message in a sentence that Jesus is the God-man who died for our sins to reconcile us to God, to transform our spiritual condition. Or if a sentence is too much, let me give you the message in three words. Incarnation, reconciliation, and transformation. Incarnation, reconciliation, and transformation. That's what we're going to see in this passage of Scripture this morning. So, Colossians 1, starting in verse 19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in Him, talking about Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. And, and by Him, by Jesus, to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you... So that's who Jesus is, that's what he did for us, this is what it does in us. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So Jesus is the God-man who died for our sins to reconcile us to God and to bring about a spiritual transformation in our lives. Incarnation, reconciliation, transformation. So the idea of the incarnation is this. Uh, the, the word incarnate comes from a Latin word that part of it is carne, and carne literally means flesh. To incarnate something means to put flesh on it. So it's the idea is that Jesus is the eternal God who added humanity, who added flesh to his deity. That he is the God-man. He's not just a little baby in a manger. He's the eternal God who became a man and that in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Again, verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Now, what does that mean? Well, how do you know? You interpret Scripture by Scripture. So if you just flip over in your Bible uh, a page, um, Colossians 2.9 says this. It says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
So what's the fullness? The fullness is the fullness of God. Literally, that verse could be translated that everything that is God is permanently housed in Jesus Christ in bodily form. That, that Jesus is completely God. He's completely man. You know, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh. He incarnated himself. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here, here's another way that we could look at it. That Jesus is the creator God who, who became a part of his own creation. If you go back just a few verses in Colossians chapter 1, back to verse 15. It says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So God is spirit, but Jesus um, exemplifies him, identifies him to us. You want to see God? Look at Jesus. Jesus is God in bodily form. He's the image of God. Image is the Greek word icon. You know, an icon, like if you go to a Catholic church, is a picture of something. Jesus is the perfect picture, representative of God because he is God. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And, and, and firstborn, is, it doesn't mean physical birth. It's a word that means priority or preeminence. He's Lord over creation. It says, For by him all things were created, that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible. So if he created all things, he therefore by definition is uncreated and is then eternal. He's the eternal creator God. It says whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So think about it. If this chair, this throne could represent heaven, Jesus is the eternal God. Seated at the right hand of the Father. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. That's forever where he had been. But in the incarnation, God came to earth. He became a man. Was born as, as a baby of the Virgin Mary. What's the point of Christmas? Is that Jesus added humanity to his deity. That Jesus came. Think about it this way. Let's... I want to go all the way back just almost to the very beginning of the Bible for just a minute to, to kind of flesh this out just a little bit. And so if you go to Genesis chapter 3, and, and one of the things that I believe is pretty much every major doctrine of the Bible is taught in seed form in Genesis 1 through 11. And it, Genesis 3 is the fall of, of mankind. So you've got Genesis 1 and 2, the creation. God made everything very good. He made mankind in his image, male and female. And being made in his image means that we have the ability to choose. God gave them you know, one command to determine whether or not they were going to obey him or not, whether or not they were going to submit to him and acknowledge him as the creator, acknowledge him as Lord, or try to do it their own way. And so uh, Satan, a fallen angel, comes Genesis 3. He tempts them. And, and that's what's been going on in Genesis 3, 1 through 5. But then in verse 6 it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And then it says, The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And I would submit to you that this is the worst moment far and away in human history. And I would just encourage you to think about it this way. Just, just think for just a second. 
Don't share, just think about like the worst thing you've ever done in your life. Or like the thing that you would be most ashamed of. Or, or, or the sin that you would feel the worst about or would be most embarrassed about if, if somehow everybody in this room knew about it. And then multiply that by about a million dimes. And that's what happened in this moment. Let's think about it. We're, we're used to things being messed up. Right? None of us have ever lived a perfect day. You know, we know there's sin and evil and suffering and problems all around us. We experience them uh, in our own lives. But can you imagine everything in an instant going from perfect to completely messed up and then knowing that you were the cause of it? That's what they were experiencing in this moment. And when it says they knew they were naked, I mean, uh, at the end of chapter 2, it says they were naked and unashamed. So this is where shame and, and, and guilt and, and things like that enter into the world. And, and, and that's what they're experiencing. And it says they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And this is the first picture of human man-made religion in the Bible where they're trying to cover their own sins. They're trying to make themselves uh, right with God. Then I want you to notice verse 8, but I want you to, I want you to read verse 8, hear verse 8, just in, in, through the lens of the way that we just looked at verse 7. It says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And you know what the significance of that is? Is that even though they had just blown it so badly, even though they had just messed everything up. Even though they were guilty, they had rebelled against their Creator, they had listened to and believed a lie, they had uh, done things their own way, God came looking for them. He didn't leave them in their sin and guilt and shame. He didn't abandon them. He, just, he didn't instantaneously kill them, even though the wages of sin is death. And he said, the soul, if, you, you know, if you touch, if you eat this, you're going to die. Uh, and they did die spiritually, and they would ultimately die physically. But you understand, this is grace. He came for them. And what I believe is, anytime God shows up on the earth in the Old Testament, it's what's called a Christophany. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ because He is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus came looking for them. And it says that Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And all of us have spent some portion of our life hiding from God. You may not look like you're hiding from God because you're in church today, but you could actually be in church hiding from God. Because you being in church, could you be you trying to cover yourselves with coverings in the way that they were? So they're hiding, but then it says in verse 9, The Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? You see, part of the lie was Satan said, well, you know, basically, God's holding out on you. you these, there's more. I've got some stuff for you. He doesn't have, you know, you can know good and evil. But God only created us to know good. 
All of our problems are because we know evil too now, but that's not what God created us for. He says, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Of course, he knew the answer, right? God, like any good parent, asks questions sometimes that he knows the answer to. And then notice his answer. The, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the servant, serpent deceived me and I ate. So they're hiding, they're ashamed, they're guilty. They're trying to cover themselves. They're blaming other people. And then God does start pronouncing judgments. And we won't read all of them, but verse 14 and 15, it says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you're more cursed than all the cattle. And more than every beast of the field, on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Here's the point. They sinned, and in the garden, Jesus came looking for them. But it just didn't stop there. We've all sinned. We're all sinners by nature and by choice. But even in Genesis 3, 14 and 15, you see Christmas in a nutshell. The seed of the woman, the Messiah, the Son of God, born of a virgin who came in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Even though his heel was bruised, he crushed the head of the serpent. He defeated Satan and death and hell and the grave. Jesus has not left you in your sin. He came came looking for you, and he went all the way to the cross for each and every one of us so that we can be forgiven, and so the stain of sin and our guilt and our shame can be removed, and so we can be reconciled to the Father. So stop running and hiding and blaming other people. Stop trying to cover yourself, but own your sin, humble yourself, and admit that the cross is the only way to God, and that's where you can find forgiveness and life and hope and peace. You can be brought back to the Father. So that's the second word, is reconciliation. Jesus died on the cross to bring us back to God. He came from heaven to earth. The one in the glory and the splendor of heaven being worshipped by all the angels laid that aside and came as a baby. I mean, what humility, what a diminishing of himself. But he didn't stop there. Philippians 2 says that he humbled himself all the way to the point of death, even death on the cross. Our text says, Colossians 1.20, it says, and by him, by Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. The, the word reconcile means to take two things that are separated and bring them back together again. You know, as a pastor uh, here and there over the years, I I've sat down with people who were at odds with one another, who had a broken relationship, and, and basically kind of mediated a discussion where they talked through it, worked through it, uh, fixed the problem, and, and, and the, and the re relationship was restored. They were reconciled to one another. And, and, and in some sense, that's what Jesus did between us and God. He's our mediator. He's the go-between. He's the one who's God and man who can touch both both, and he's the one through his death that brings us back, that reconciles us, that restores us to the Father. You see, the Bible says our sins separated us from God, but in Christ paying for our sins, now that separation is ended, we're reconciled, we're restored. It says, by him to reconcile all things to himself, 
by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. See, according to Romans chapter 8, not just us as people, but the whole creation fell. But Jesus is redeeming that. He's restoring that. Someday he's going to come back and set up his kingdom on the earth and restore this earth to the original paradise that it was created to be. That's part of what he won, part of what he accomplished on the cross. But it says, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And the word peace literally means to bind two things together. He's bound us together with God by the cross, by his blood. He, it is the only way. This is the point of Christmas that Jesus left heaven, was born, but that he was born to die so that we can be born again. Colossians 14, 1.14 says that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he who knew no sin, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, the reason I'm wearing this jacket is just to symbolize our sin and our guilt and our shame. And see, the reality is we can never appear before a holy God looking like this spiritually because we have to be clean and righteous in his sight. And we can never do anything to cover ourselves or to remove this stain. But the good news is that Jesus, when he became a man, he went to the cross and he bore all of our sins. The Bible says, again, what we read, we have redemption through his blood. He who knew no sin became sin for us. The handwriting of ordinances against us, God's record of our sins, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Everything that was against us was placed on Jesus, where now it's removed from us if we're in Christ, and so we can appear before God, and God sees us now as his children in Christ. And that's the third word. It's transformation. The result of him reconciling us through the cross is a complete spiritual transformation. Look again at what the text says. Colossians 1.21. It says, and now, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. Now think about it. The word alienated, it means to be separated. Right? If you've got a broken relationship with someone, you're alienated from one another. Our sin has alienated us from God. It says enemies. We put ourselves at enmity against God by our rebellion, by our spiritual treason against our Creator. Talks about wicked works. So apart from Christ, apart from Christ, that's our spiritual condition. Alienated, enemies, full of sin. But notice the end of that verse. Yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Jesus took all of our sin on the cross. So now, in Christ, if we're believing the gospel, if we're standing firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ, God now sees us as holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Now, I think if we could ever really believe 
that Jesus actually truly accomplished that for us on the cross. There's no way we'd say no to him, and it would absolutely transform the way that we live. I mean, let's be real. I know, and I think you know, that in myself I'm far from holy. And there's a lot of things I could be blamed for. My wife could blame me for some things. My kids could blame me for some things. Some of you could blame me for some things, probably. Above reproach, there's plenty of things that you can find wrong with me. But the gospel is, and the point of Christmas is, that Jesus is the eternal creator God. But he was incarnated. He came as a man. He lived the sinless life that we've failed to live. And then that we, he bore our sins on the cross. And we're, when we repent and trust him, when we're in Christ, even though in ourselves we may be unholy and sinful and far from above reproach, and we can be blamed for all kinds of things, that Jesus has redeemed us from that. He's forgiven us of all that. He's reconciled us to the Father. And in Christ, God sees us as holy. And without blame and above reproach. And that is the grace of God. That is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And that is the point of Christmas. And so my question for you is in Christ, are you in Christ holy? and blameless, and without reproach? Or do you need to stop running, and stop hiding, and stop covering yourself? Do you need to come to the end of yourself, and come to the cross, and repent of your sins, humble yourself, place your faith in Jesus, give Him your life, Trust Him. Let Him take control of you. Let Him forgive you and, and cleanse you. I'm not talking about being more religious. I'm not talking about doing something. Again, that's just man-made human coverings. And God says, no, no, no. in the Garden of Eden, He killed an innocent animal to cover Adam and Eve. And it's a picture of the cross. Jesus the innocent was slain so that you and I can be covered with His righteousness. And that is our hope spiritually. And that is Christianity. And again, that's Christmas. Are you in Christ today? I'm just going to ask you, if you would, to bow your heads and close your eyes.